This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. We're so glad you've joined us for another episode of Church for the Rest of Us on our podcast. I'm here with my co-host, our communications director, Leslie Bennett. Yeah, it's good to be back, Jimmy. I'm looking forward to today's conversation with one of our biggest fans, actually, um, a family church member. I know, member. A, a, listen, a podcast He's listener. a podcast listener. All so right. Executive Director of First Care Women's Clinics, um, which are life-affirming clinics across Palm Beach County. So welcome, Bo. Thank you. I get to check church for the rest of us off of my bucket list. That's there right. you go, man. <laughs> Bo Heyman, our good friend. So before we talk about what you do, Bo, and how Family Church partners with you, I just wanted to ask Jimmy about the philosophy behind our community partnerships. Family Church actually used to have a lot of its own ministries. I don't know if you remember this, but I actually connected with what was then First Baptist Church through our Crisis Pregnancy Center. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's how I connected with our church way back in the day. But then you became the pastor in 2008. And you changed and some everything. of the way things that were doing that. So <laughs> didn't ruin things. I think it made it better. So can you talk about why you did that? Yeah. So when I came to what was then First Baptist Church, now Family Church, we had a lot of auxiliary ministries. And so we had a pregnancy center. We had a feeding center. We had a clothing center. We had a maternity home. We had a medical clinics. We had all these different, what I would call auxiliary ministries, which were very important, very significant. And they were all started with the right heart. And there were great people running these things, investing their lives, Uh their money in all of these different ministries that were making an impact with people who had significant needs. However, our church had gotten to a point where the needs for volunteers, for funding, for employees, for energy, for focus, for these auxiliary ministries had choked out our ability to be effective doing the main thing that the church is here to do, which is to make disciples for Jesus, to build families, to to do evangelism. So our Sunday morning worship experiences, our groups ministry, our personal evangelism was suffering because we were getting so bogged down trying to keep all of these other ministries funded and staffed and and going. And so we made a decision, you know, Jesus put the church here because he wants us to do what Jesus would do if he was physically here. So we're supposed to be connecting with our community and meeting needs, but we thought a better way to do it would be to partner with organizations that already exist in the community doing these tasks and meeting these needs at a higher level Mm -hmm. than we could do it just on our own at our church. So even like the the Crisis Pregnancy Center, which so many people loved and was so important in our church, but really it was a small office with a nurse and some volunteers and an out-of-date ultrasound machine and the best thing we ever did was combine with First Care because First Care has such a bigger scope, bigger scale. And uh, that's just a great example, I think, of how we can be the church out there mm-hmm. instead of trying to do everything for ourselves. Now, I know a lot of our listeners, 
your churches have this ministry or that ministry, or maybe even a constellation of ministries. And so I'm not throwing stones or, or saying that you should do it differently. But I know for us at Family Church, this has made us much more effective at the main things that we do as a church. But I also think it's it's encouraged our people to do a better job being the church out there, being salt and light, and helped us meet these needs in a bigger and better way. Yeah, I really like that. I think it's a great shift in philosophy, and then it lets us help our good friends like Bo Heyman. So. Yeah, Bo. So we're glad that you're here. And Bo is my good friend. Our our kids are growing up together. Our wives are friends. Bo and his family are members at Family Church. Bo, tell our listeners a little bit about your family, how long you've been at Family Church, and then how you got into this role at First Care. I, uh, I have five sons and one wife. Which I think the church is happy about. Yeah. Um, I started coming to family church, my wife and I, when we had no kids. My wife was actually pregnant with our first son, Sam. And wow. I shared this story, but the very first Sunday we came here, the longtime pastor stood up and said, today's going to be my last Sunday. And my wife and I exchanged glances and we had been looking at a bunch of different churches and they said, well, let's just stick it out and see what happens. There and you so go. 15 years later, here we are. Yeah. So my oldest son is 15 and they stair step on down all the way to age six. Man, incredible. And so uh, you've been at Family Church for 15 years. How long have you been working with First Care? Uh, a total of about 12 years. I started when I was in my late 20s. We had an absence until marriage education program, and uh, we went and presented in public and private schools all over the county. And I started there as a classroom presenter, and I kind of worked my way up until I was uh, overseeing all of the grant-based programs because those were federally funded. We had a staff, probably about 12 and we were impacting over 10,000 students every year with this very Christian message, although we didn't present it as that. We eventually lost our funding, which led to me getting laid off. And uh, during that time, I worked on a master's degree, and then I was invited to join First Care back again, doing some fundraising with the idea that I could eventually become executive director, which is the role that I currently have. And so talk about First Care. You guys have how many clinics and what's your basic budget? And talk about the ministry that you're overseeing. Sure. First Care has four women's clinics, and we call them women's clinics. That is really a term for the clients that we're trying to reach. We serve Palm Beach County, which has, uh, I don't know, over close to a million and a half people. Yeah. And so four clinics for a million and a half people, it's actually not that many, but we have we serve several thousand clients every year. And what we do is we empower women facing crisis pregnancies to choose life while sharing the love and good news of Jesus. And so as you do that, you have doctors, nurses, volunteers. Talk about how you're kind of structured and how you meet those needs. Sure. Well, when you hear the term crisis pregnancy, it means a lot of different things to a lot of people. You know, a lot of people will think of these kind of the extreme cases of rape or birth abnormalities. But a crisis pregnancy is essentially any pregnancy that's caused a crisis in the woman or in the, that family's life. And so we have a mantra. The crisis is temporary. So our goal in a crisis pregnancy is to eliminate the crisis, not the child. And so when a woman comes in to first care, what we want to do is minister to her physical needs, to her emotional needs, to her spiritual needs, and help her to get through that crisis and ultimately to choose life for that child. All right, so talk a little bit about the state of the pro-life movement in America today. What's going on legally, culturally? How, how are you feeling this in your role? Well, First Care, we're 501c3, so we're a nonprofit. And so I just want to say right up front, we're not political. But I also don't really think the issue of pro-life should be thought of in political terms. The term pro-life is a political term. The term pro-choice is a political term. And they're selected for the way that they sound, right? Right. But so most abortion clinics, most people who identify themselves as pro-choice, 
they have an interest in women procuring abortions. And so really, are they pro-choice or are they pro-abortion? And so it, it becomes a difficult issue just from that regard. Now, abortion has been in the news a lot recently. Kind of started back in February. Um, New York announced that it was changing their abortion laws. So they were going to make abortion legal through all 40 weeks, 40 plus weeks. So a woman could be actively laboring and decide at the last minute, I want to have an abortion. Now, this is an extreme position. Most people don't think that's okay. Most pro-choice people don't think that that's okay. And so that brought a lot of uh, attention to an issue that people tend not to think about because a lot of people think about when they think about abortion, they think about early abortions, you know, something happening at eight or nine or 10 weeks. And it's easy to obfuscate and say, well, it's a lump of tissue. It's a product of conception. But when you hear things like you can abort right up to 40 weeks when a woman's in active labor, even your run of the mill pro-choice person who doesn't think about it very much, it hits something inside right. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've had a couple of politicians go on record recently, even saying that they thought it would be okay to do abortions post-birth. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, when you start talking like that, you kind of tip your hand and you show people what you're really about. The Virginia, the governor of Virginia, Northrum, he was talking about abortion in such graphic terms. I thought he was pro-life. And <laughs> like, I, I was like, wow, this is cool. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, he's pro-choice. Like he thinks what he's talking about is okay. I think so many people saw that because it went viral and it was all over Facebook and YouTube and, and social media. And people saw that. And for the first time they were like, this is what my party believes. This is what people believe. I don't believe that. And so a lot of people have had kind of a, an awakening in both pro-life and pro-choice because a lot of pro-life people, you don't even realize how extreme the other side is sometimes. And even in Florida, we've had, um, we have a house bill that was approved by our, our state legislature, which would require parental consent for abortions. And when you read about it or hear about it on the news, they say controversial bill. Well, what's controversial about having a 15-year-old get their parents' permission for a medical procedure? Absolutely <laughs> nothing, right? You can't even get an aspirin at school. Exactly. You couldn't. Have, you literally couldn't have a doctor remove a splinter from you without your parents' permission, but you could have a very invasive surgical abortion. And so that's being considered, And people, but people who are extremely pro-choice will say, no, no limits on abortion, no limits on access. These 16 and 17-year-olds, they should be allowed to make those decisions on their own, whereas as a parent of someone who's 15, I go, what are you, are you kidding me? They can't make those decisions on their own. <laughs> yeah, Leslie, I mean, 15-year-olds aren't really noted for their excellent judgment, are I they? I don't think so. None that I've actually personally raised or known. It's interesting, too, Bo, because one of the reasons that I even got involved initially, like we talked about with the Crisis Pregnancy Center, was I was in Washington, D.C. and saw this as very much a political issue, as you're talking about. But you're doing so many innovative things to approach this in a life-affirming way. And we've had these conversations. So can you talk about how you've approached this at First Care and how you're trying to engage the culture in ways that are innovative for this movement? Well, first, I should say that at First Care and at Family Church and at every church, I think the first priority is loving people. Mm -hmm. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. So I just want to say, I, I'm not angry with any woman in a crisis pregnancy. I think it's the most normal thing in the world for someone to consider abortion. I mean, it's legal after all. And it is a crisis that they're in. And they say, wow, that's an easy way out of my crisis if that's all you've heard your entire life. So we're not angry with women who are pregnant. We are not upset with women who've chosen abortion. What we want to do is we want to help women. And we really chose the word empowerment for a reason. When a woman comes in in crisis, 
We don't want to twist her arm to choose life. We don't want to threaten her or coerce her or guilt her into it because it's a decision that she has to live with for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So we want to empower her. Well, how do you empower someone? You come alongside them. You help them with resources. You help them with information. Because the statistics show most women who've had abortions say they would have chosen life if there had been one person to support their choice. Mm. And so for hundreds of women every single year, first care is that one person and those women choose life. And that's what empowerment looks like. Now, in, in the old days, right? So we've been around since 1983. And I call those the old days because I was in the third grade. <laughs> right? So I'm sorry if you're older than me. But, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not saying who's older than you. I think, Leslie, you and I, 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 don't know. I, I know I'm older than you. I'm yeah. not saying if Leslie is or not. I won't say either. Well, back then, and I'm talking about it like it's the dark ages now. If, <laughs> if you remember back then, the home pregnancy test had just come on the market. Wow. And you had to use a test tube and an eyedropper and a substrate and it needed to sit still for one hour for you to get result on your pregnancy test. It wasn't until 1989 that the home pregnancy test that we know of now came out. And so First Care and other crisis pregnancy centers, or now they're called life-affirming women's clinics or pregnancy help centers, would offer free pregnancy tests. Well, this was a big draw because they were expensive. They were $40 in 1983. Yeah. So that's probably $150 now. And so to offer that for free was a huge draw for women. Well, the problem is when you start advertising things like free pregnancy tests, you're not just getting women in crisis. You're getting women who want to save money. You're getting women who maybe need a pregnancy statement for their insurance company. And so, but that was the best way we had to draw women in. Well, fast forward now, you can get a pregnancy test at the dollar store. Right. I know. I've bought them at the dollar <laughs> store before. And uh, and they work and they're accurate. So That's right. it's not much so of a draw. So pregnancy test, you're saving me a buck. That's exactly right. You'd be surprised how many people want to save that buck though. But yeah. if you really want to reach women in crisis, the newest... Uh, most current statistics says that when the average woman suspects that she's pregnant, and now there's all kinds of cycle trackers on people's phones and things like that, and they know when they've uh, been sexually active. So women will say, I think I might be pregnant. You say, well, you know, are, are you late? And they say, no, but my app here says that I, I could be pregnant. <laughs> wow, this is a brave new world. I didn't know all this. So when a woman suspects that she's pregnant, this is women who who do end up ultimately choosing abortion. She will confirm that pregnancy with a home test by the end of the third day. And if it's positive, she'll be in an abortion clinic within seven days. So we basically have a seven-day window from when she finds out that she's pregnant to intervene in her crisis pregnancy. Well, that's not very long. We, we can't just hope that she comes along and sees a bus bench ad that says free pregnancy test. So what do we do? We do extensive internet outreach, Google AdWords. We have a really great website. We, do, we pay for SEO. We pay for a monthly blog. All of these things drive traffic to the website. They bring attention to the kind of services that we offer. And ultimately, our desire is to get women into the clinic as soon as possible. Our goal is to get them in the same day that they call because they're more likely to come in. So what does that mean? It means we have to have lots of convenient locations. It means mm -hmm. we have to have a lot of staff and we need to have people who are trained and ready to go. So you were mentioning at the beginning of the podcast that Family Church used to have a lot of kind of auxiliary and peripheral ministries and that you kind of uh, have really gotten more focused on the gospel-centric side of things, church building and, and building up uh, the body of believers. Well, at first here, we've become really focused on the women who are most vulnerable to abortion. So when a woman calls and we consider her uh, likely to carry, we might say, okay, we have an appointment for you next week. But if a woman calls and she says, how much is an abortion? We know that woman is the exact demographic, the exact person that we want to see. And so we do what we can to accommodate her that day. 
And as we've kind of shifted the ministry, what we find is the cases, the women that we're dealing with, the cases are more and more extreme and they're harder and harder. We had a woman and she, this is just one particular one. She had an appointment already to have an abortion. And she's like, well, I'll just come by first care because I can't make it into work today. She ended up choosing life. Wow. So that timeline is compressed mm-hmm. and the cases are getting more and more difficult. So it's just imperative that we are there and that we are aggressive in our outreach efforts. You've even done some things with changing the name and the way you describe what you're trying to do. Talk a little bit about that. Well, in 1983, we had a really cute name. It was TLC Clinic, which I assume means tender loving care, Mm -hmm. right? And that projects a certain image. Well, the woman who is on her way to the abortion clinic doesn't want to stop by for a hug from the TLC clinic. <laughs> right? So we've had, we've had some name changes over the years. And uh, probably 12 years ago or so, we settled on First Care. Right? It was, at the time, it was First Care Pregnancy Centers. Then we changed it to First Care Women's Clinic. Well, the name First Care is kind of synonymous with pro-life in this community. And so women would find, you know, they would find First Care and they would see all this pro-life stuff and they would say, well, that's, that's not for me. So we did make a decision to change the name of our clinics and the way that we market them, we market them as Palm Beach Women's Clinics. So if you go and you Google Palm Beach Women's Clinic, you're going to see a website that is designed specifically to attract women in crisis. And we partnered with a wonderful marketing company that specializes in pro-life marketing. And we have another website, which is firstcareforlife.com, and that is for donors. That is for supporters. You can get information there. You can find out about our events. And so by separating those two channels of communication, we keep the the woman in crisis from going, oh, these are a bunch of pro-life wackos, right? And we keep our donors, who many of them are wonderful, sweet Christian people, and sometimes they get onto the the client site and they're like, why are you talking about abortion? And it's like, well, because that's what we what we do. You know, women in crisis pregnancies, they don't necessarily want an abortion. They want a solution. Mm. And if they think abortion is that solution, we have to be able to talk candidly about it. And that's a fairly recent move because I remember talking to you about that not that long ago when you were thinking of making the move. How do you feel like it's gone? Has that gone well with your supporters? And has it worked as far as, like you said, the people you're attracting to the clinics? It's gone really well. We we call them actually Palm Beach Women's Clinics powered by First Care. Mm-hmm. So we still have First Care as like a co-brand. Okay. And we'll probably keep that for the next year or two, maybe three, mm-hmm. until kind of the community's memory fades of what First Care is because women need to be able to come to First Care. They need to be able to find it still. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because people, we were really concerned, hey, if we change the name from First Care, people are going to be upset. People say how much they love it all the time. Right. Well, one of our very wealthy donors who has just been with the ministry for, I don't know, a long time, over a decade, we gave her a tour of a new clinic. And she walks up and she goes, ooh, Palm Beach Women's Clinic. I like that. I never liked First Care. And then you're like, man, what, what, what in the world were we so worried about, right? So no, I think that that move just to segregate the the marketing of it mm-hmm. has been very, very helpful. That's brilliant. Well, let's, yeah. let's shift gears a little bit, Bo, and let's talk about how churches interact with you and with clinics like yours and, and organizations like yours. Let's talk about how you interact with churches and what churches should be doing. Sure. Well, I always remind people First Care was started by churches. Two local churches started, actually three, I'm going to include Family Church, but back in the 80s, they started pregnancy ministries. Mm-hmm. And those eventually merged in 1995. And then sometime in the late 2000s, uh, Life Care, which was Family Church's ministry, also merged with First Care. So we are not a parachurch organization, but we came out of churches. And what we do is we provide expertise that churches aren't necessarily going to have. Yes, anyone can be nice to a woman in a crisis pregnancy. I believe that any believer 
if they're sound in their faith and they're a kind-hearted person, can do a, a pretty good job of talking to a woman in crisis and helping her choose life. But a lot of women need a lot more than that. And that's why we offer ultrasounds and things of that nature. So our relationship with churches is we are supported by, I think, over 90 churches in the community. We have an amazing amount of church support, mm. and it is pretty much across every denomination. They give directly from their budgets to yours. Yes. So churches support us financially in a variety of ways. One is, yes, direct, directly from their budget. And then other times they will support our events. Like we have a baby bottle boomerang campaign. Right. We hand up. I know Jimmy loves it. Right. We hand up. I do. Coming right up. We're doing it in a few weeks. Right. So we hand out empty baby bottles in the church. People take them home and they put in, it was originally coins, but it's kind of morphed into coins, cash, and checks. And uh, they bring them back to us. Scroggins house. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I've always wondered, I don't even carry cash. I am a debit card person. So I I keep wondering when the baby bottle boomerang is going to end. But Last year, it raised over $90,000, and over half of that was loose change. So, try mm. to picture yeah. forty-five grand of loose change. Mm. So, as far as fundraisers go, not the most efficient one in the world, but it is a really easy entry point It's a lot churches. of people doing it, though. Yeah. And great for families to talk about. So, we can do that, give directly from the budget. We can direct our people to your events, such as the Walk for Life and other things that, that happen. What do churches do that encourage you the most? What do pastors do that encourage you the most? I have to say, just introducing people to the ministry is super important. And it's not because I am just running around scrambling, looking for donors all the time. It's because people need to know about what the church is doing for this issue. So when a pastor is willing to preach on abortion once or twice a year, or bring it up in sermons, just even as a passing thing, it's very helpful because that brings awareness to it. Now, if you believe the statistics, somewhere around half of women who've had abortions are regular church attenders. So that means in a church the size of family church, there are literally hundreds of women sitting there on Sunday mornings. Every Sunday. Who've had abortions. And I actually, I heard this from from a pastor who who specializes in kind of pro-life speaking. And he said, when we don't mention abortion, people can only come to one of two conclusions. One, it doesn't matter. It's not an issue that matters to Christians. Or two... People who've had abortions are so bad and so sinful that they can't be redeemed. Mm. And we don't want to leave people feeling like that. And so when we can talk about abortion, I always tell people it's not an unforgivable sin. You know, God will forgive a woman for having an abortion. And God does forgive women for having abortions. And we actually offer abortion recovery programs. That's another important way Mm -hmm. that churches can partner with us is just by making it known. If you've had an abortion, we have a Bible study set up for you. What do you wish pastors would do more of as you look at pastors i know i know you're such a support you're the last person to critique pastors and i'm so grateful for your all your upward looking kind of approach to your interaction with pastors and churches but what do you kind of just wish i wish pastors would do more of this or be be more into that talk a little bit about that there's a thing that i uh, i call bumper sticker support you know, remember those support the I support the troop stickers? Yeah. And it's like, that's nice, but what do you actually do for them? Well, I have fond feelings for them. Right. <laughs> okay, that's great. It doesn't do anything for the troops. You know, I, I want churches to have more than fond feelings for pro-life. I want churches to have more than fond feelings for first care. Now, I'm not going to ever tell a church what they have to do. But if a church is accessible, if I can talk to a pastor, if the pastors will are willing to promote an event, and they don't have to promote every event. But I would love it if they would promote at least one or two events. Putting us in the missions budget, it doesn't have to be huge. $25 a month. If that's where your church is, you can tell your congregation, we financially support the Crisis Pregnancy Center in our community. 
All right, so we've got all these listeners, they're pastors, they're church leaders, or organizational leaders from all over the country and around the world. If they say, wow, I'm, I'm totally pro-life, I, I totally believe this message, but my church is at a zero right now in terms of involvement with any kind of ministry like this, how could somebody who's at a zero move to a one or a two, you know, begin to move up the scale in involvement? I think a lot of, a lot of us are spiritually pro-life. We feel that God says that life is valuable. We, we look back at Psalm 139, knit us together in our mother's womb. Mm-hmm. But we need to be intellectually pro-life. We need to realize that it, this is not just some church issue. It's an issue that impacts everyone. And there are great resources out there. So I would, I would say educate yourself on the intellectual side of the pro-life movement. There's a wonderful group called Life Training Institute. Just Google it. They have all kinds of wonderful resources. They'll send someone to speak at your church for free on pro-life issues. So one would be education. And then I I would say two would be reach out to your local pro-life ministry. Is there a pregnancy resource center in your community? Call up the director, see if you can arrange for a tour, because when you see it with your own eyes, uh, it really does make a difference. Ask them to share a story with you. See if if they have a mailing list that you can get onto, maybe a client that you can meet. And I will just say, Churches ask us, hey, can you send us a client to speak on a Sunday morning? I always want to say yes, but it is really one of the most difficult things because I have to find a client who is willing to share the fact that she almost terminated her child's life. Mm. And very few women are willing to speak about that in public. So kind of also temper your expectations, but I just want churches to view us as a partnership, whatever that means. If they want to refer us clients, if they want to refer us volunteers, I don't put expectations on the churches. Just know that we would love it to be a two-way street. Bo, I'm so glad that you're willing to be with us today on Church for the Rest of Us. I hope that our listeners will consider how they might form key partnerships to advance the causes that are most important to you and to your church and your community. It's a great way to go further faster than you can go when you personally try to do too many things at your church. Now, you may not have a first care, but you certainly have worthwhile pro-life organizations near you contact them see how you can get involved this is church for the rest of us thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast i'd love for you to follow me on twitter at jimmy scroggins or check out familychurchnetwork.com to chime in on our blog we want your feedback on today's podcast plus we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too hey until next time This is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.